When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Man gave names to all the animals. In the beginning, in the beginning. Man gave names to all the animals. In the beginning, long time ago. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about Man Gave Names to All the Animals from 1979's Slow Train Coming is fellow Bobcat, Bill Burns. Hi, Bill. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm we- humbled. Oh, oh my goodness. Now, I mean, we traded a bunch of emails before uh, we booked, I booked you on the show because you were giving me comments about other episodes uh, from these songs from this era. Uh, what we, you sent me a, a couple interesting emails on what the, what can I do for you episode and the, in the summertime episode. So obviously you were very conversant with the, religious text that Bob Dylan was sort of using for these particular albums, this sort of, you know, the, the born again trilogy as it's called. So I'm glad we finally have a chance to have you on the show to talk about a specific song. And this is the song has, it's uh well, we'll talk about it. Obviously we'll get to all the details of this kind of interesting song here in the, in the Dylan songbook. But before that, I have to ask you, how did you become a fan of Bob? I was uh in a punk rock book, uh punk rock band. Um, in the uh, several punk rock bands in the Kansas City area in the early 80s and had a guitar player in that band named Dave Fazemeyer. May he rest in peace. He's kind of the reason why I'm a, a Dylan head as well as a Grateful Dead head and uh, and also was instrumental in really talking to you about the, the, the Christian aspect of, of things and he was obviously a big fan of these albums and so uh, yeah, he was always talking about Dylan and I'd known about Dylan cause you know, I'm, I'm 60. So you, you grow up, you know, Dylan's on the radio, you know, time of the era change. And I was born in 62. So when he was, you know, just getting started, I was, uh, you know, I was raised like a lot of folks just with it in the air, you know? And then when he really introduced me to the, the music, it was, uh, it was something else, you know, it just really grabbed me. And, uh, obviously for, for me, uh, the, the religious records were kind of sort of an end for me. Well, I mean, sort of in the sense that like you talked about on a previous podcast, you know, you, uh, one of the, your guests discussed how they had not come to these albums initially, even though they were Christian, you know, they oh, were, right, they right, kind of right, came to yeah. them later, you know, for me, uh, they solidified it. You know, for me, it was, I knew about, times era changing and blowing in the wind, you know, you kind of, you grew up with all that stuff. Peter, Paul and Mary, you know, popularized a lot of that stuff was on the, on the radio all the time. But for what really got me hooked into it was the, the Christian trilogy. And uh, of course, I think a lot of Christian fans of Dylan tend to be, you know, they, they're probably on the minority side of the large, you know, absolutely monstrously huge, audience of bob dylan but there's there's sort of that always uh certainly when he was in that period or coming out of that period i remember when i when i picked up when i first saw dylan you know it was uh this was around like 85 86 i uh he was already into the you know post trilogy 
period with right. some of the nadir of his albums you know some of those <laughs> mid-80s albums like uh uh knocked out loaded and whatnot and every time he put a record out you know you'd go is this the one where he's gonna like you know really come out with a really great record like one of the trilogy like in you know, a shot of love or uh, slow train or, or saved and it's like knocked out loaded or you know down the <laughs> down groove, in the groove <laughs> you know and you're just like where is what's going on you know even even with records i completely love now like world gone wrong and good as good as i've been to you i remember listening to that and just going bob have you run out of stuff <laughs> you know <laughs> and and in reality when you sit back and think you know you look at how he was using that material in that time to kind of sort of reboot in a way kind of getting back to his roots and and now i listen to those records i just think man they're just fantastic records mm. not Oh, not knocked out loaded necessarily but you know <laughs> the little shiny parts and not knocked out loaded but you know well, i always kind some... of scratch my head when people were talking about how great brownsville girl is <laughs> i just go okay whatever <laughs> you know <laughs> his own. uh yeah i mean if you're coming to bob right at that point and he's releasing those records you are a little like mm, really okay yeah. sally sue brown well okay so uh, I do want to ask you something about your your punk days. Uh, I am sort of curious about what I mean. Obviously, you, you were just in that one band, and you were talking about your one friend. So it's not like it's everyone's opinion, but like even in the world of punk, was Bob Dylan still considered good music? Like you know, he wasn't considered like old hat even by you know by punk guys back then. Well, I'm sure there were some punks that considered him old hat. I mean, the great punk rock band from San Pedro, California, the Minutemen had a phenomenally uh, great and funny song. And the title of the song was Bob Dylan wrote pop propaganda songs. Wow. I'm <laughs> not it, familiar with that at great, all. It's a great song, but you know, even as a foil, I think, you know, you won't, you don't get any respect unless you're making some kind of waves and, you know, they were out to kind of stick their finger in the eye of everything that was, you know, pre-1977. And pretty much, you know, it's always, you know, whatever's the latest thing is the cool thing, you know. But uh, in our scene, uh, and I think really this kind of goes for all over the place because, you know, in the Kansas City scene, there was lots of ex-deadheads and, and, you know, like my friend Dylan Heads that had become punks because, you know, it was a way to get in there is do it, is do it yourself, you know, mm-hmm. DIY. So, I mean, I had no training as a drummer. I was a drummer for a punk rock band and I was, I was actually a drummer in several. Everybody was kind of in, you know, two or three bands at least, you know, throughout the time we were in that scene. And my band, my uh, guitar player was a huge Dylan head and, uh, had seen him a bunch of times before I had and, and an even bigger deadhead probably. So, I mean, you would think deadheads and, 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 uh, and punks wouldn't be really mixing very much. But even, <laughs> yeah. You, know, when you, go, you go back now and look, you know, even artists like Henry Rollins were, was a deadhead. Mm. You know, he, he appears on a, a, a dead tribute record along with Elvis Costello, of all people, you know, is also a deadhead. So you mm. never know. And so, I mean, same thing with Dylan. I mean, everyone knew that Dylan was kind of giving the finger to the establishment whenever he had a chance. You know, just watch the old D.A. Pennebaker, you know, don't look back. His you know, mastery of the <laughs> interview was pretty amazing, you know, and people like that, you know. 
that was sort of the proto-punk. Even, you know, the same New York scene that produced Bob Dylan produced Velvet Underground, which were kind of proto-punks, you know. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that crossover. As long as it was real, I think punks mm. were okay with it, you know. Okay. Some right. punks, like everything else, are purists, you know. More so in those days because you didn't have the internet. You weren't kind of mixing. You had people who liked rock and roll and you liked people who had, who liked, uh, you know, dance music or disco, you know, and, and in that period of time, especially where Dylan was coming in with his Christian stuff, you know, Dylan always zigged when everyone else zagged. When the Beatles were doing Sgt. Pepper's, he was in Nashville. Right. Yeah. And, He's uh, doing John Wesley Harding. Right. Yeah. yeah and, and hanging out with Johnny Cash and punks, punks love that, you know. Mm-hmm. Because it was sort of it's, it's iconoclastic, and that's sort of the appeal of Dylan for punks, obviously. But he wasn't from that sort of scene, but you know he definitely had that attitude. So, <laughs> so you said that uh, when when you were kind of buying the records and there were the mid '80s stuff, and you were a little like, "Huh, I, all right." I mean, what you kept with it, obviously, right? Because you said you you eventually got. Yeah, as I've been to your world, Garong. So obviously, something kept you going. Did you go back to the older stuff, and it was then the, like the sixties and seventies stuff, and you were like, "Well, yeah. okay, he's in this period now, but this other stuff is tremendous." So I'm just going to keep going here. I hung on long enough, and I saw him enough. You know, in, in the end of my punk rock days, my first Dead concert or first uh, Dylan concert was was actually a Dead concert. I saw them in in Minneapolis at the Metrodome. Now long gone, but. It was with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers as a backup band. And, you know, it was just a killer show. He ended the show with Knocking on Heaven's Door, and it was great. It was an amazing show. And then I saw him a number of other times, and, you know, over the years I've seen him a lot. And I think that kind of sort of kept me in this in this loop of, you know, he's going to do something better, you know, down the road. Mm-hmm. Eventually you get to Time Out of Mind, which was a kind of complete mind-blowing, you know, experience from a, standpoint of a dylan fan mm. you know i think everybody even you know non-christians or christians or whatever you know they they saw time out of mind come out and they're like yeah this is amazing so as a as a christian uh you and you call yourself a reformed christian is that correct yeah okay uh, the, the 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 william did a great job uh describing it the the real nub of the matter is reformed christians just date their origins story back to the 15th century with Luther and Calvin, you know, when they were breaking from the Roman Catholic church. And so, you know, it spreads from, you know, Germany to France, to England and Scotland and then to America, you know, so it's that Protestant kind of thing. Gotcha. Generally. Now in opposite of him, uh, we were mentioning William Luke Sinclair that my guest, when we talked about it in the summertime, he talked about how the Christian records were like the last thing that he got into because he was sort of hesitant about, well, I don't know if I want to, but for you, that was sort of the opposite. Uh, you know, what we're going to talk about, obviously this specific song, which is from the first, first of this, you know, again, trilogy. Every people now call it a trilogy. I don't think Bob thought of it that way, but, um, as a, as a Christian, I mean, obviously, biblical references and illusions have never left his work they they were they've been in his work since the beginning right. more heavily during these records and then they they're still there now to this day yeah. but over overall like what is your feeling about that period do you feel like he conveyed what 
you got a sense of what he was trying to convey and you or you did you when you look back at the career do you maybe wish that he had kept going with it or are you just happy with the records the for what we have well i think you know uh, from the standpoint of the idea of religion and its and its experience as is as a human experience obviously Mostly, uh, when you think about converts, they tend to be the most zealous. Yes. People who are converted to something, they got a message to convey. They want to tell you about what they've experienced. And that's kind of the way I view those three albums. Really, I I kind of include infidels in there as well, kind of sort of as an echo almost, sort of. I mean, it wasn't, I don't think of it as a, you know, departure or whatever, as some people do, but um, because there's still, interesting stuff there that's obviously informed by that uh period he was very close on the heels of the trilogy i still consider it a trilogy but it's kind of an sort of an outlier on that same trajectory and you got to figure as being bob dylan and trying to be a religious adherent of any particular religion of any stripe whatever you want to call it whether it's judaism or hinduism or you know christianity or uh, you know, Catholicism or anything you got in your bag of religions, how do you be Bob Dylan and be a normal adherent to anything when your life is living on the road and doing your thing? And you can do it, but there's a certain amount of, of as, you know, as there's a certain community to most religions and certainly for Christianity that is almost impossible for someone like Dylan, even if he was stationary. He's so famous that he can't go down the street. You know, he has to wear a hoodie and hide. You know, we right. all heard the stories about Bob, you know, kind of spooking around places and people, you know, just, <laughs> he, had to, he had to do that because he's famous, you know. Van right. Morrison's the same way. He does a lot of talking about Van Morrison, talks a lot about fame, how it just dogs him, you know. And he's another one who's dabbled here and there with religious themes as well. Hmm. same kind of thing i mean i don't know how you can be bob dylan and be what everyone else expects of you as a religious adherent whether you're christian or not so i mean it had to come to some kind of evolution at some point and that's the kind of way i look at it you know Hmm. as a calvinist i think you know (laughs) he's still probably a believer because i mean god you know god gets to you you're gonna you're gonna be gotten to and you're not really uh, completely able to resist that. But I mean, he still has to live his life in a way that he can still interact with the people that he really truly has to interact with or the people right around him, you know, his loved ones and close friends and associates. And so, you know, it probably doesn't involve going to church on Sunday, like a normal, <laughs> to on, you know, and, right. <laughs> uh that's interesting so all right well let's let's talk about man gave names to all the animals which uh i've we've mentioned this on uh other episodes where i feel like uh you mentioned good as i've been to you which of course features his cover of froggy went a courtin and um just two episodes ago we talked about uh cats in the well uh which is from under the red sky and that whole record with a few exceptions is very nursery rhymey. So in this song, especially you really do feel like if Bob had ever wanted to make a children's record, he could have done it. He absolutely could have done it. And, you know, when I remember the first time I was not familiar with this song until I got this record. And of course the beat, that that kind of reggae groove that he's got going there is, is 
tremendous. It's really catchy. And you get to that opening, you know, the opening verse and then, then to get the, 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 you know, the, the beginning of the song, which is, you know, he saw an animal that liked to growl, big furry paws, and he liked to howl, great big bear, furry back and furry hair. Ah, I think I'll call it a bear. And I remembered, I think, of the first time I heard this song, and I went, oh, that's what this song's going to be. <laughs> okay, the rhymes are going to be, you know, nursery rhyme level rhymes, and that's what this song is going to be. And so this is, it's sort of funny, that, you know, this is the, especially in its placement on this record, where the rest of it is so serious and right. so unsparing. And then you've got this thing on there. <laughs> it really, it really sticks out in a very funny way. Uh, why of all the songs on from this period, why did you want to talk about this one? Well, um, this song is interesting in that, uh, and I, I know one of the emails I sent to you, uh, I said there's more there than you, you think. I mean, mm-hmm. halfway my email to you was kind of sort of joking. And then, and then I found myself, you know, Hornswoggled into talking about this song, but but there is more to it, I think. And I'm not the only one, but I think on one level it is kind of a children's song, you know. Because uh, I went out right before the yeah your last couple of days, you know. I've never done a podcast before, so I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to talk to Rob Kelly. I got to figure out what I'm going to say about this song that's really considered one of the slider songs in his care. I mean, it's actually uh, Rolling Stones, you know. I think they did it a poll and they took the reader's poll and they said it was in the top 12, you know, worst songs of all time. About oh, for God's sake. Number four, you know, and I'm that, thinking, it's not the worst, you know. No, that's, that's <laughs> such a useless effort. Just even compiling a list like that. I think that's too dismissive. And I saw some other people that dismissed it, you know, people that were highly respected writers, you know, mm. but uh, like Paul Williams, just, he doesn't, seem to think there's much to it at all although you can see how it works in a it is a slider song it works in a, a concert setting sort of kind of as apparently he started the beginning of his second sets with this song a lot of times and, and he played it 155 times so he yeah. has like something i mean he likes i don't know how many times he played wiggle wiggle but you know right right this one 155 times so and now and and outside the context of the religious shows, I mean, he last did it in 1991. Right. So it's not like he just sang it during the Born Again concerts where it was obviously that he was just doing that material. He's obviously got some affinity for it if he's still dabbling with it as late as the 1990s. Right. That last show he played in Stockholm where he played it the last time in 91. The set list is pretty amazing, actually. You should go look at it. It's pretty good. But anyway, so... That song, I mean, here's where I, I come down on it. You know, I, I've heard you and others on your show talk about how Dylan places songs. I, I think Dylan, everyone that's listening to this show probably tends to be of the opinion that Dylan was a preternaturally skillful human being, artist, whatever. And I don't think he just does stuff for no reason. I mean, there's... Like even one of the discussions you had recently, I think it might have been on the, the most recent one with uh, William Luke Sinclair about uh, songs he leaves off. And then you think, well, you know, it was left off and then it appeared here. And man, it's so good where it's at now. You know, you kind of go, it wouldn't have fitted on, it would have, wouldn't have fit on that record. I think it was, you guys were talking about, I think maybe it was up to me. You know, uh, it wouldn't have fit on, on Blood on the Tracks. Mm-hmm. 
but then years later it was released in you know separately and it was you know appreciated for what it really was right i don't think that's exactly the same case with this one but i don't my point is simply that dylan does not do a lot of stuff without some intention and if you look at the lyrics yes it is sort of this nursery rhyme thing because i think people tend to look at the origin story that's presented in the old testament in the you know sunday school kind of mentality and if you have a a Jewish background or a Christian background, you look at that story. It's interesting where the story that, that, that drives this underlying this is from Genesis chapter two verses 19 and 20. And up until this point, uh, this is before Eve has been created. And uh, so it's just God and Adam in the garden and, up until that point, everything has been good. God saw that this was made, and there was morning and evening, the first day and the second day, etc. And God saw that it was good. And then the very first time you ever hear what one commentator calls a malediction in the Bible regarding the creation is here in this point where God says it is not good for man to be alone. And that's where this story takes place that you're hearing in this little children's song that Dylan's produced, but it tells the, you know, he leads up into these, you know, these little cute verses that the pig and the cow and the bear, the bear, you know, uh, they lead up to this sort of sinister ending mm-hmm. that this, I saw an animal floating to the grass, you know, you know, and it disappeared by a tree, by a lake. And everyone that is familiar with the story knows that that's, you know, the serpent, the, the snake. And sometimes people go, well, you know, I've got some, there's one guy, uh, the guy from Bob Dylan philosophy. He, he thinks it's got more significance than I think it does. But I think he, sometimes Bob chooses a word to rhyme in lake and snake rhyme, but that's how he need to use that to intimate that the next animal was this snake. But it just trails off. He doesn't name it. Well, the whole object of naming things, he's depicting man, which is what the name Adam means. Adam is the Hebrew word that means man. That's why he says man gave names to all the animals. Not man masculine, but just humanity. Man gave names to all the animals. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so here, the he sees the snake. He doesn't name it. And naming things is to take dominion over them. You know, you're, you know, that's one of the, the charges that, that God gives to Adam. He says, you know, here's the creation, take dominion. And so here's Adam taking dominion. God brings the animals to him and he says, you know, whatever these things, whatever you call these things, that's what they're going to be called. So he's depicting humanity and it's sort of a little lower than the angels. That's one of the phrases from the scriptures, from the Psalms. Man, he goes, what is man? You've made him a little lower than the angels. So he's, you have this creature that's between the angels above and they're, you know, these, you know, beautiful creatures of, you know, heaven. And you have man in the middle and you have, you know, animals that are mute. And he says, among the animals, there was none found suitable as a helper for him. And at that point, the story depicts God putting Adam to sleep and then he creates Eve. And then you know the story, which is what's alluded to by the snake analogy down into the song. But that's the whole context of this song. And then 
The very next song on the record is When He Returns. Yeah, <laughs> absolute stunner of a of a and of a song. Does, it's a phenomenal song. God, if you if you haven't seen Rance Allen's version on that, uh, go go watch the video. the uh, The audio is good enough, but the video of Rance Allen singing that in the studio on the Gotta Surf Somebody record is just phenomenal. It's amazing. He does a great. He does the song great justice, but the. You know, the message of that song is he'll replace wrong with right. Well, that's exactly what Dylan's just alluded to in the little ditty, this little children's song <laughs> in the beginning. And like a lot of records you uh, mentioned earlier, a lot of records Dylan points to the next record was some of the last songs on his record. You know, like Restless Farewell is on the record that, you know, sort of kind of bids farewell to the folky stuff. You yep. know, he's now going to go do his thing, you know. Yeah, it points and the way to that. another side. Yeah, right. And he's doing it. He's doing that. I think he's doing that somewhat. Maybe you know, maybe it's just a children's song. You know, but I, I have a feeling that it's more than that, and it certainly operates on that level. And we know Dylan was heavily influenced by all kinds of poets and poetry. He's read very deeply, and it's obvious. I will echo what William Saint uh, Luke Saint Clair, uh, Saint Clair said: was it's obvious, especially to a, a knowledgeable christian dylan fan that dylan has read very very deeply in the scriptures because this episode of man naming the animals is one two verses at the very beginning of the story of the entire bible and it's done with you know and so dylan managed to build a song out of that you know and that shows that it caught his attention which tells me there's more to it than just a children's song. Mm. It's just me. I could be completely full of crap. I don't think I am, though, because I think Dylan's an artist of a higher caliber than that. Well, it's also how you're taking it. Again, I don't think yeah. I don't think he would care. I don't think he even I, you know, can't presume to speak for the man, but I think he would just say if that's what it if that's how it sounds to you, then that's that's correct. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that's what yeah. it is. Um, it's funny that you you say about like making it on the records and stuff. There's a there's a little story about this song, uh, from the Wikipedia page where it mentions according to backup singer Regina Havis Brown, originally Bob was not sure if he wanted to include it on the record, but then when Dylan heard Brown's three year old son laughing at the identification of the animals, he said, "I'm going to put it on the record." Right, <laughs> and, I read that, and I read you know, that just a couple of days ago, and I was like, "Man, maybe this whole thing is just a total." You know, well, it's it's it, it's so funny that like you know he puts these things out, uh, and then they you know we as the audience have to take them in, and they become so significant in our lives. Every decision that's made on the record, from its title to its cover sleeve to its placement of the songs to what songs are on it to what songs he plays on it live, everything is analyzed and taken as you know, no pun intended, gospel. And it's become so meaningful to his fans, and it all seems like it's all carved in stone. Again, no pun intended. But but then you see, look at look at how capricious some of these decisions were when he decided oh, yeah. to do this. Like, oh, the the little kid laughed at it. All right, it's going on the record. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, wow, that dude, me, that's all it took. Interview with Dylan. Uh, it was sixty minutes of Ed. Uh, what was his name? Ed Bradley. Yeah, Bradley interviewed him. He, he, I think it was that Bradley was interviewing him. He yep. said, you know, he asked him, where did those songs come from? The early songs, you know, yep. like Mr. Tambourine Man and, and, you know, way back, the great 
you know, towering songs of his career. And he goes, you know, and he starts rattling off. Bob rattles off a few lines and he says, you tell me where that comes from. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So that sort of operates, you know, if, if Bob still has that thing going, I think, and I think he does, I think it's sort of kind of the way his entire career has gone. And I think to a certain degree, most people who are artists, and I wouldn't really claim to be one because I'm, I'm not really a musician, just like you. It's one of the things I appreciate about your show is that you're just a guy who really appreciates Dylan's work. And I'm the same way. I mean, I feel, I think there's a ton of folks that listen to your show that get a lot out of your show because they identify with exactly that role as an audience member. They, they are not necessarily musicians, but musicians in the, the audience certainly can, you know, appreciate it as well. And they can contribute when they have them on as guests, but that's just something I think that all artists have some aspect of the ineffable, you know, maybe Dylan didn't intend to, but it can't, it, the way it's placed in there, the very next song being when he returns and that whole theme of Jesus setting everything right is perfectly placed. Hmm. And that's why when I emailed you uh, back channel about uh, what can I do for you? That's why I think that this record is the proper first record in the trilogy is right. that it sets the scene. And then with that last song, he sort of points to where he's going with saved, which mm -hmm. is all, almost all these joyous songs of just, you know, solid rock and satisfied mind. Of course, not a, it's a cover, but still all these songs are really the response to Jesus saving both Bob and, you know, the, his whole role as savior, mm. you know, See now, that, see now that's really interesting because to to the uninitiated like myself, this song to me seems like it would fit. Well, I mean, obviously sonically it would be a little different because this record, as we know, produced by Jerry Wexler, and it had a very particular uh, sound to it. The way that Saved did not, but it, I always figured this song would have fit better on Saved because to me Saved seems an altogether more gentle record than this one. This one seems so angry. And so fire and brimstone, you know, with when you're going to wake up or again, when you when he returns and certainly slow train and all this stuff. And then you get to this and this just seems so uh, benign. I mean, even with that ending, which obviously is pointing towards, you know, the, the creative, yeah, the the, the, you know, but then, you know, obviously you said someone who has a more theological background, you're making a case for it. No, it actually does fit better on this record, despite the uninitiated, it may not quite sound that way. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually think that, you know, from a, from a, a reggae standpoint, you can slap it on to, you know, you can see it, you can see it being dropped from infidels, maybe just with the reggae, I think. But, <laughs> right. Know. Right. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it ends on a sinister note, you know? No, absolutely. <laughs> right. Then, right. You know, it's this really cool song and then it's sort of, trails off with this what everyone understands as you know the scene of the crime you know and then next thing you know is uh bob singing when he returns which is just a phenomenally great song yeah uh i love the fact that i read again in in my in a, at a concert in pittsburgh in may 1980 i guess this was on stage bob confirmed that the animal in the final verse is the same snake that appeared to adam and eve in the garden of eden and i i you know, that's the kind of thing where I'm like, 
he really needed to explain that? Like of all the things, <laughs> of, of all the stuff he's been asked to interpret, that's the one he felt. Oh no, no I'm going to lay this out for all of you. Like, did anybody not understand what the final verse of the song is supposed to mean? Or about wow, you know, the, okay, Bob, you know, uh, I mean, again, it it the the song does call attention to itself by that by that ending. It, the right. ending itself is pointing back at itself and saying, okay, we're, I'm, I'm purposely ending the song kind of mid verse because I'm kind of being a little cutesy of like, aha, we're talking, you know what I'm talking about, but we're not going to get into it. And that keeps it on the, again, on the, the gentle path. Cause he's talking about all these animals. And again, it is sort of benign. Um, you know, he talks about the, the, you know, we get, he talks about the pig and the, the sheep and, you know, uh, so, you know, <laughs> I, I never, Again, I've, I've never thought about that it needs its context on this record, but you're kind of changing my mind a little bit, which I appreciate. Uh, <laughs> now, of course, as a children's tale, uh, people have gone and taken it and turned it into not one children's book, but two but children's, two, two children's right. book. Now, this, this song that we're doing is the third episode in an unofficial, much like the Born Again records were a trilogy. This is an unofficial trilogy here on Pot Dylan because we did Cats in the Well, and then following Cats in the Well, we did uh, If Dogs Run Free, and now we're doing Man Give Names to All the Animals. We're talking about all the animals. We did cats, we did dogs, now we're talking about all animals. In 1999, they turned this into a children's book with illustrations by Scott Mention, and then it was turned into another children's book in 2010 by a different artist named Jim Arnosky. So... Good Lord, you know, again, sorry, no pun intended there, but get like the one with the yellow, get the one with the yellow cover. Uh, that's the Scott mentioned one, I believe. Uh, his stuff is much more kind of purposely sort of crude, uh, right. looking. But Jim Arnosky's is more lyrics. painterly kind of thing. He, he follows um, the lyrics better, though. If, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, he doesn't, the first book doesn't, Arnosky, I think it is. He doesn't, the, fir- the first the one is mentioned, the second one is Ar- Arnosky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I mean the the green one, it's all fine. It's all well and good. It's fine, but it doesn't it doesn't follow the lyrics pr- uh, properly, in my opinion. Oh, really? But, how? how yeah. What? What does it do? There's, I should have brought it upstairs with me to show you, but uh, it doesn't repeat the you know because the the line is the the song has got a lot of repetition in it, obviously, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't in the beginning. It doesn't repeat all the lines in the chorus. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, okay. in the green one, in in the the yellow covered one with, uh, as it mentioned, you say Scott, uh, Scott mentioned yeah. all the lyrics. Yes, it's the, all the lyrics in it. Oh I'm wow, that's to. interesting. Oh yeah, no, I mean part of the reason this song works is you've got the backup singers. Yeah, I that, agree with that groove of them. You know, singing the man gave. You know, uh, it's got that. That's why when I got I got the first one in the mail and then I looked at it and I thought, man, I can't ring, I can't read this to my granddaughter. It is, mm-hmm. I can't sing it with her because it's not right. So interesting. Oh. Oh, wow. Huh. Um, so this song uh, was released as a single uh, in France and Belgium, where it was actually a fairly mo- a fairly decent sized hit for Bob. Uh, in France, it was B sided with "Trouble in Mind," which is a song that was recorded for "Slow Train Coming" but left off and. I will say we've again we've talked about this on previous episodes like the 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 completely confounding choices Sony Music Columbia Records would make sometimes to b-side some of his singles this to me is the perfect thing with Bob Bob has so much material 
that he records for these records that we never get to hear still, even after 18 bootleg series. You, if you're going to put out a single beside it with something that nobody's ever heard, because <laughs> then that gives you a reason to buy it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you don't just stick do. another song. So I'm glad that at least they were like, Oh, well, let's use trouble in mind, which again is a terrific song. Um, and did not make slow train coming, but this was actually a fairly decent sized hit in other countries. And I wonder if that's the reason that he played it. Cause he played it throughout. We mentioned, um, it you know, could be right. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. He played it in the 19, you know, from 79 through 81, and then he picked it up again in 87 and then 90. And then in the last couple of performances, he did it in Paris, France, Munich, Germany. And as you mentioned, June, the June of 91, Stockholm, Sweden. Now I am, you mentioned the set list of that show, the last time he did the song. And that is a hell of a set list because it's <laughs> new morning, lay, lady, lay, watchtower, shelter from the storm, gotta serve somebody, wiggle, wiggle. <laughs> then man gave names to all the animals. That's a hell of a one-two punch. Punkin I think he was punking them, right? I think right. I think he was. I'll be your baby tonight. Barbara Allen. Then Bob Dylan's dream. Don't think twice. It's all right. The gate gates of Eden. Man in the long black coat. Everything is broken. Lenny Bruce. Leopard skin pillbox hat. Knocking on heaven's door. And Highway sixty one revisited. Yeah, that's an eclectic set list. Now speaking of wiggle wiggle. I do need to mention some of the covers of this song. There are some terrific covers of this. This song's been covered way more extensively than I ever would have guessed. And there was a couple that I listened to. There's one by Towns Van Zant. There's one by Johnny Cash, which never got released, uh, which is terrific. And then there's a, one by Jason Mraz, which is really good. I really enjoyed that. But the one that made me laugh was there's a cover by The Wiggles. Oh, yeah. The children's <laughs> band, The Wiggles. Now, how The, the Wiggles themselves have not covered wiggle wiggle yet that's just leaving money on the table right there guys i don't know what you're doing but yes there is uh i can't imagine that there will ever be another song by bob dylan covered by the wiggles but there's this one <laughs> oh man can you imagine johnny cash i can tell him here johnny cash wiggle to the front wiggle to the rear <laughs> wiggle right out of here <laughs> <laughs> that's a song more people need to cover wiggle wiggle that is for damn sure but but yeah so it, again it's one of these songs that seems so simple and as you, you talked about people like to bag on it but it, there were i found with just a you know immediate youtube search half a dozen covers by name artists and i'm like okay this is obviously it's either the lyric content or maybe just the groove that people really respond to and want to perform uh, you know, and again, a lot of the ones I heard were, were really pretty good. So it's, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, compared to the, the mind blowing stuff just before it and just after it, uh, you know, this, it, it holds up better on the record than I ever would have guessed. And again, that's from, that's from talking to you. So thank you just for that, at least. Oh, I've got a friend who still despises this song. He hates it. He's, he's in the camp of, he would move it from number four to number one, probably. Just, <laughs> and, and I can't, I can't figure it. He's an intelligent fellow. <laughs> it's like, this song is better than that. It's not that bad. It's really, and I think it's more, more profound than people give it credit for being, mm -hmm. you know, because if you're trying to tell the story, I think in some senses, Bob may not have been thinking, like you said, he wasn't thinking of this trilogy so called. But he is, I think, thinking of his art in its sense of, like a lot of artists, you know, you can see this in some of the famous artists like P.S. Eliot and, you know, certainly uh, John Donne. 
some of these, uh, especially religious artists, uh, poets especially. And he was clearly in, into reading a lot of poetry as well. And the structure of things will you know, give some rise to choices that you make, obviously. It has to. And so I think to a certain extent, I mean, Bob's not probably necessarily going to tell you why he left the song off or on. And, <laughs> you know, but I think sometimes we may find a reason and it may be the reason you never know that Bob's not probably going to tell. No. But you know, uh, I think that's one of the things that's fascinating about it. And I don't want to like steal anyone's thunder, but you've already talked about murder most foul murder. Most foul is sort of in that same vein as the whole theme is, Something happened right in front of thousands, millions of people, and we still don't really know to this day, 50-plus years down the road, 60-plus years now, almost getting on getting on to 60 years. We still don't know exactly what's going on, what went on, what was mm -hmm. what led up. You know, we know sort of some of the – we know some of the historical facts, but we don't really know everything. And Bob is certainly, certainly alluding to that in Murder Most Fell. Same thing, you know. We don't really, we'll never know, probably because Dylan probably take it to his grave why he left off something, you know. Thank goodness, thank goodness, you know, his trash on the floor of the studio is gold compared to most <laughs> people, you know. And most people's best stuff is not as good as the stuff that falls to the floor in Dylan's recording studios. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, it's funny as I'm I'm looking at the the track list on Slow Train Coming, and it, you know, I look track six. Is a song we still haven't done yet. The "Do Right to Me, Baby, Do Unto Others," and when I think of that song, that actually sort of pairs up quite nicely with this song in terms of its simplicity and taking something out of the Bible and then just turning a, turning it into a song. You know, right. that song had that song has a, a a gentle simplicity, like this song. This song, of course, "Man Gave Names to Animals" has that again has that sinister ending, but "Do Right to Me, Baby" has a gentility that kind of fits alongside right. this record. Well, it's a it has a gentility built into the very nature of the topic itself. Right. But it fits in this record. I, I see what you guys were saying about some of the anger in this. I, I addressed that in some of my emails to you about, you know, the, the way that, that like, uh, again, William St. Clair or William Luke, Luke St. Clair was really good in pointing out, you know, the reaction to Bob's conversion especially in his circles, probably not all that crazy. You know, they didn't probably, you know, you hear that in, you know, I believe in you and that, um, that kind of feeling of rejection is, is overt in the lyrics. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of kind of through here. And then he sort of kind of says, you know, I'm going to change my way of thinking <laughs> and then you do write to me, baby, which are, you know, I'm just, this is what I'm doing. This is, this is what, this is where I'm at right now. What he's saying with slow, slow Train as a whole is sort of kind of a, a general, as a whole statement, you know, that's sort of kind of where he's at on that. I think that's where most of the sense of anger that you perceive, I think, from Slow Train comes from that uh, feeling in Dylan's own life that, man, I'm getting a lot of pushback about this stuff, you know. And I'm sure he expected it, but uh, you have to go through it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, you know that's the way it is for anybody that has to make a major change in their life. You know, if you quit drinking, people who you normally used to go hanging out with and drinking come around and say, "Hey, man, let's go get a beer." And 
it's like, no, I can't do that. And people take it wrong. You know, it's right, not like you're right, being, right. not personally saying, Hey, I don't like you anymore. It's just that I don't do that anymore. You're That's my drinking I, buddies and I can't yeah. be, I can't be doing that. Right. Yeah, right. So, yeah. I mean, you you got to figure out how to relate with me, you know, uh, without a beer in your hand or, mm. or, or, or relate with me without a beer in my hand. Right. And if you're not going to accept me without a beer in my hand, then how are we going to be friends? You know? Mm. So, yeah, it's, oh. a, it's a it's a great album. I, I really love Saved. I'm a huge fan of Saved. I think it's that it gets it gets the short shrift, and I think it gets the short shrift for the same reason that I described about my experience coming into listening to Dylan records when I did in the early mid '80s. You know, you just every record you got, you're like, when is he going to put out something like Slow Train or Saved or Shot <laughs> of Love again? And you know, same kind of thing. When Slow Train came out, everyone's grudgingly accepted that it was a pretty good record, but he's nuts. Nice. You know? Right. And then Saved came out, and I'm like, man, he's still nuts. You know? <laughs> he's he's going he's all in on this, it. isn't he? But as we know from yeah. Bob, he does that. So, And so everyone is on both sides, you know, both Christian and non-Christian. The non-Christian fans are all going, when is he going to be done with this? Same thing we were doing with the, the Frank Sinatra yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. you know? He's so he's he'll he'll hit a he'll hit on a record that everyone loves and people are kinda like, do more of that and he's like, No, 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 no. And then he hits on something that people are a little mixed on and he's like, I'm gonna keep doing that. <laughs> like, it's like, okay? like triplicate. What? <laughs> you were dubious on the Sinatra covers? Here's a triple album full of it. Yeah. Wow, Bob. Okay. It's only triple album, isn't it? I think it's his only triple album. It's his only triple album. <laughs> the man loves to be contrary. Uh, well, Bill, I mean, you really made a case for this song. Not that I had anything against this song, but it just was certainly not one of my favorites. But uh, you really made a case for it in a lot of different ways. And, of course, by the nature of doing an episode on it, it makes me go do research. And when I do the research, I find lots of things about it that I never would have guessed. Uh, that makes me appreciate it all the more. And that's, that's what I love about doing the show is, you know, I, no one has to convince me of, uh, the greatness of, uh, you know, Tangled Up in Blue or a Series of Dreams or Caribbean Wind, because those are all masterpieces that I love. But when it's one like this, that when someone says, I want to talk about this song, I'm like, really? This one? All right. Let's try it. And you've really made a case for it. And I think I have an, a greater appreciation for it than I ever would have had. So thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. It's Absolutely. been fun. And the same thing. I mean, I think that's the experience of every fan of, of Pod Dylan is just the fun of hearing a song that you wouldn't really necessarily have paid much attention to. Man, there are some people on this show that just uh, swamp me as far as being able to get down into the weeds and find stuff and i don't know where they do it and <laughs> just amazing i've never seemed to be amazed you know it's just fun so oh, i absolutely. totally enjoy it one of my favorite things thank you well thank you very much again well thank you so much for for your comments about the other episodes i always appreciate that and i appreciate you coming on the show to talk about this song so this was just terrific so before we sign off i have to ask you the standard exit interview question which is uh, if there's any album you could sit in, or again, any, I keep changing it. It's not just album, any Bob Dylan recording session, anytime he's recording anything, uh, you know, maybe even the new book, the philosophy of modern song book. And we know that he's part of the audio book and, and the thing, if there's any Bob Dylan recording session you could sit in on, what would you want to be a fly on the wall for? Man, if it wasn't, if I couldn't be in the sessions for slow train or saved, I would be, uh, 
a happy man if I was in the sessions for uh, Love and Theft. I'm a huge fan of Love and Theft. Okay. I yeah. think it's better than Time Out of Mind. I think you know, it's a great, absolutely a great record. I, you know, it's funny. I can remember at the time when Modern Times came out. Sony had all this stuff about uh, Modern Times completes the trilogy Started with Time Out of Mind and murder being like, Trillage, what? Like, this Time Out of Mind is like its own thing. This is that, like, what? And they were like, we're so desperate to make trilogies out of things. Now, clearly, these records are, a, they're a trilogy because there's three of them. There's three distinct, I mean, yeah, Infidels has some coloring, some shading of those, of those times, but it's its own thing. But the, the Born Again period is clearly these three records, but I just remembered, you know, lumping in time out of mind with love and theft and modern times as like three of a of a trilogy. I was like, oh come on, Sony, what are you <laughs> like? What are you talking about? Are you really is anybody going to buy modern times because they think it's part of a trilogy? So, well, so is it just that you love love and theft that much? You just would love to hear them do the songs. You know, uh, I think it's partly because uh, it was one of the first song, uh, records of his that I uh, I remember. You know, he released. Time Out of Mind in 97, but the internet was only a couple of years old. I mean, by 95, most people, you started seeing that kind of internet um, penetration to where most people had dial-up, at least, you know, in their house. You had modem screaming in the background or whatever. (laughs) But it was still, it wasn't wasn't all that pervasive. Yep. So 97 came around, people still didn't really kind of dig around like they do. I mean, they did, but they did it all like the old school. And you had to be a real crazy bobcat to dig around and figure out what's going on. But by the time 2001's Love and Theft came around, of course, it was released on 9-11, which is kind of memorable. I remember I went and bought it that day. Mm-hmm. I think I ordered it online. And it was delivered or something. I can't remember exactly. I know I got it that day. And of course, I didn't listen to it very much. But as I listened to it over and over, it grew on me, and then I started seeing the annotated. Somebody did an annotated love and theft, mm-hmm. and I started realizing just you know it's so aptly named, and, you know. And that was one of the sort of flowering of the Bob Dylan's a plagiarist kind of thing. I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. He's telling you in the title of the record. <laughs> it's got the word does. theft it's right there in the title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and sort of, it's sort of in the internet. You know, before the internet, when Dylan was like, whipping out all this stuff, that's just mind blowing. People are like, where did you get that? And then you go back now. Everyone's like, oh, that's an old, you know, folk tune from the 15th century that he borrowed, you know, from Scotland or something like that. You know, they can dig it out of the Internet. But, you know, you had to be a complete nerd, you know, living in a dusty room you know, in Oxford or something to find that out if you were pre-Internet. But now, you know, you start looking at all the stuff. And then there's there's just stuff on it's that band. You know, Charlie Sexton and George Roselli, and you know, I saw that band, I saw that tour, and it was everyone was waiting when the first show came out after 9-11. You know, everyone was like, what's he going to play first? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. You know, when the, the deluxe edition came with an un- previously unreleased Times They Are Changing, how appropriate is that? You know, mm-hmm. there's no way he chose that. You know, they're going to fly airplanes into the buildings in New York city on nine 11, we'll release this on that day. And then we'll release this with times and they are changing, but it was appropriate, you know, for that. And so it sort of sticks with me. I think that's one thing, but the music and the production and then, you know, the singing on that record, he was just 
on his game. There's that one line in I think it's Po Boy where he is, you know, describing the discussion between him and Desdemona. He says, What what you do with that poison? He says, you know, I gave it to you, you drank it. You know, <laughs> it's just the, the way he sings that stuff is just like it's like he's a magician folding all these lyrics and syllables into these lines. You're thinking, how can he sing that in this line? And he just does it, you know, and you're just like, man, there's more to this guy than meets the eye or the ear. You know, it's just amazing. And then I heard him play that tour, and I saw him in Iowa somewhere, and uh, I think it was a, uh, it was an old Archeo movie theater that had been turned into a, you know, performing venue. And the sound was absolutely perfect. And Dylan was happy, and, you know, at the end of the show, people were throwing roses up on the stage, and but you could hear every single word, and unlike other complaints about Dylan's mumbling, it was just clear as a bell. The performance was just stunning. And I was thinking, man, this guy's a, he's just a miracle worker. You know, it's just amazing. So it stuck in my heart. You know, it was a great record. It's a great record. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Oh, it's a great answer. Fantastic answer. So, well, again, Bill, thank you so much for doing the show. I, I really very much appreciate it. This was just a, a delightful conversation. And of course, everybody, if you want to find back episodes of the show, go to our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. Uh, so big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hustle, George Doherty, Bucky Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein for their support of Pod Dylan. And of course, if you want to pick up the uh, relatively new Pod Dylan t-shirt, you can go to my Etsy store. It's under Rob Kelly Creative, like Bill did. Thank you so much, Bill. I have to give you a shout out for that. I very much appreciate uh, you picking up that shirt. I, I hope you enjoy it. Got my Pod Dylan shirt on. <laughs> I love it all in, man. So uh, again, uh, thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later. Bye. Una cosa que hizo muy pronto el hombre fue poner alias cambiando los nombres. Ten cuidado que aunque no hagas bien todo, si un día cagas, te calzan a todo. Tengo un primo que se doctoró Es más culto que Sánchez Dragón Pero se orinó en los edredones Y le llaman Pudre colchones 